Thank you. What an amazing uh, song we just sang. I don't know whether uh, you realize it, but you just made some amazing promises to God. Um, <clears throat> what we're doing uh, uh, this uh, season um, of uh, Palm Sunday and um, the Holy Week is to actually look at, um, take one day at a time, so to speak. Okay, so we'll, every week we'll take one day at a time and talk about what exactly happened on that day and how does that impact us, how does that change the way we do life. And um, I want to again... Uh, remind you that this song we just sang, uh, the uh, promise that we have uh, sung out to God, is what I would like us to actually respond to after the message. Glorious, now behold Him rise. God, King, priest, and sacrifice. What an amazing breath of blessings, power, and gifts Jesus Christ brings to the world. But there is a poignant side to his story. There is... Even in the midst of the clamoring of all the crowds in Jerusalem on that day, even in the midst of Hosanna, Hosanna, even in the midst of, you know, this is our king, this is the Messiah, this is the one that we expected, even in the midst of that, people really did not understand. They were still asking for, save us. That's what Hosanna means. Save us, Lord. Save us. Save us from what? Save us from the Romans. Save us from taxes. Save us from our miserable existence. Save us from diseases. Save us from things that would kill us because there is no science of medicine at that point. If you get sick, you're done for. If you're blind, you're going to stay blind. So it's very difficult for us to get into our shoes of that first century Jewish community the people that lived under that oppression, the people that lived under that law of Moses, and then have this breath of fresh air come, this Messiah from Nazareth of all places, to come and really speak to the people. He wasn't looking for the aristocracy. He wasn't looking for the VIPs. He wasn't looking for the kings and the emperors and those who ran the business of, of uh, a nation and an empire. He was looking for those who were lowly in heart. He was looking for those who were suffering under the yoke of slavery to sin. Not necessarily a slavery to Caesar. These are the last seven days of Jesus on earth. As the hymn that we just sung tells us, see him rise. See him rise. From Sunday's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, to early Sunday morning, 
the brilliant, glorious event that changed history and changed the spiritual world and probably shocked waves in hell and fear and trembling to all the minions of, of the evil one, to the amazing surprise of heaven. Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead after He took all our sins and all our diseases and all everything that makes life miserable for us and nailed Him on the cross and paid with His own perfect soul and spirit that we may have life, that we may have forgiveness, that we may have power over all these things. Early Sunday morning. This final week of Christ here on earth is of such importance that all four Gospels talk about it. And it's not like one talks about one aspect and the other talks about the other aspect. I know that theologians try to, you know, you know, to, to divide and conquer, so to speak, of the different Gospels, the different uh, idea of what happened exactly and what was Jesus about and which part of Jesus' uh, ministry and character did they look at. They actually look pretty much the same. Pretty much the same. This uh, Sunday morning I'm using more the Gospel of John because he gives us the background that helps us make sense of what happened. There's a lot of things going on on that Palm Sunday. There's a lot of things going on because God has actually choreographed the whole thing thousands of years before. We have to go to uh, Zechariah chapter 9. This is where, I mean, the, exact, the exactness of this parade, the, the um, understanding of what's going on and all this is just they're all brought out. And it's written out, is a script, 700 years before. Actually, not 700. It was more like 400, 500 years before. Zechariah is one of the, the latest prophets in the Old Testament. Zechariah prophesied of Palm Sunday, the first day of the week that we are checking out this morning. Zechariah 9 and 9.10 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from the from the Ephraim, Ephraim, Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. How many times? Have the people of God been conquered and conquered and enslaved and, and maltreated by hordes of, of armies that have come from the great river, gone up Euphrates, down into Syria, Lebanon, and then down into the homeland of Israel. And here Zechariah is saying that there will be a day when all the clamoring of horses and the parading armies that come and, and, uh, and destroy your peace 
and take away your young men and women and take away all that you have, you have worked for and slave you, it's going to go away. It's going to be a day when God will come and will conquer. He'll be the conqueror. He will be your salvation. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea. Can you imagine? Could they understand what he was talking about? We already are living that reality. The kingdom of God is from sea to sea. There is no place on earth that there is no Christianity. That there is no people that, that love and worship Jesus. This is an amazing thing. There's about 7 billion people that live on this planet. And of those, if I'm not mistaken, about 5 billion are Christians. Some degree of Christianity. It may not be exactly the Christianity that we practice. But the majority of people on this earth have got the message. The majority of people on this earth have the Bible in front of them. And they're reading it. And they try to conform to what Christ wants for them. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Did you notice how far-reaching this is? For us, I think it's like Poham, you know, we heard this all. We see it already. We can just look at how many Christians there are on this planet. We can look at where Christianity is flourishing, what is going on. We see and hear all kinds of stories about miracles and what's going on all over the planet. But for the Jews of that time, a tiny little nation that had a big head about who they were. This was like, we don't understand that. What are you talking about, Zechariah? Don't you realize that we have to pay taxes? Don't you realize that we have been taken over by this evil empire? There's an emperor in Rome that's basically taken over our lives. And the people of God that are not supposed to be subjugated by anybody, not supposed to be slaves, not supposed to be under anybody else's rule, are the God Himself. Those people are now under somebody else's rule. What has happened to us? And I want to get back to Pasadena because I want to make sure that you're getting the story here because as we participate in this Palm Sunday, we need to understand that we do the same exact thing. Yeah, we may not have the big heads of, of the Jews because they were the, the chosen people of God. They had a genealogy that started from, from the, the first man, Adam and Eve, all the way all the way to that day that Jesus walked into Jerusalem. They knew exactly who they were. They could recite the Old Testament. They could recite the, their own genealogy. We have the genealogy of Jesus because of that. And because of that, they were very sure that they were God's people. They belonged to God. And God was for them and nobody else. The others had to basically take a ticket and wait. As far as they were concerned... They were Jews, they were the progeny of God Himself, and they were the favorite people of God. And they had the scars to prove it. 
But here, Jesus is trying, for the last time, he's trying to get to the people of God and help them understand that they are wrong in so many ways. That they need salvation not from the Romans, but salvation from sin, from pride, from hypocrisy, from all the things that Jesus has talked about and criticized and spoke out aloud and wowed the, the, the crowds and said all these parables to get them to understand in different ways, to get it, that they need to ask God for forgiveness. And they need to see Him as God's final answer. He is the Lamb of God. They no longer need to sacrifice lambs. He is the Messiah who is going to save them. They don't need anyone else. But that's not what they understood. As far as they could understand, is they had the reality of life that bare down on them. And that reality of life was so difficult and so unbearable that most of them caved in and they had no hope. Most of them just went around with their head down saying, Oh my God, oh woe is me. Oy vey today. My question to you this morning is, are you missing the big picture yourself? Do you understand that God is for you? All that we read in the Old Testament and the New Testament makes that big impression <coughs> that God is for us. If God is for us, then who can be against us? And you know the rest of it Paul writes it in so eloquently in Romans. So my appeal to you this morning is that you will forget all your troubles, forget all your cares. <laughs> you come to downtown Jerusalem and look what's going on. And then take a lesson this morning about what you and I do all the time. We do the same thing all the time. We don't see Jesus Christ parading in the street. We don't see Him being part of, part of our home. We don't see Him visiting our home like He visited uh, the home of Lazarus, His friend. And what Jesus Christ does, if you notice, you know, the thing that I've never, I never noticed that before. John, in, the, in his gospel, make, gives us the details. He doesn't write about all the things that Jesus did, but he writes in detail what he actually writes on. And he says that when Jesus was away from Jerusalem before the Passover, he had gotten an, an instant, very important message from Martha. Martha sent a message to Jesus and said, Rabbi, your friend Lazarus is sick. Will you come? She believed. She believed that Jesus Christ could heal him because he had done so many other things. But there was a, a very close bond between Jesus and Lazarus. John, the disciple, tells us that he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. 
But what does Jesus do? He stays two more days. <laughs> so what? He stays two more days. And his disciples are getting anxious. And saying, oh, Jesus, what are you doing? <laughs> He's saying, this is so that you may understand once and for all who I am. This is for your lesson. This is for you guys to understand that who I am in your life. You don't really get it. You just go through all this amazing experience of miracle after miracle and amazing teaching and all the stuff that you do, that you hear, but you don't get who I am. By far, I think the most amazing miracle that Jesus ever performed is bringing Lazarus out from the, from the tomb. He wasn't just, you know, most of the, the people, he remember that there was a, a young man who was, you know, who had died, you know, in the village of Nain, and, you know, the, the widow, the mother, you know, was crying her heart out, and Jesus walks and just touches him, and he's alive. And all these other people that were really seriously sick, and he healed. But having somebody die and be in the tomb, not once, not one day, two days, three days, four days, and then come back to life, are you kidding me? Who, who does that? Who can do that? Even, even today, you know, we can bring people back from the dead, so to speak, if their brain has not died already because of lack of circulation. Even today, we hear stories of people you know, who people have prayed for and bring them out back from the dead. Christians. The, the, the power of the resurrection is alive. But having this kind of a situation, that's amazing. And Jesus is telling His disciples that this is for you that I'm doing this. I am dragging my heels for another two days because I want to make sure that you see with your own eyes that you are eyewitnesses of what exactly is going to happen. So finally, Jesus decides, okay, let's go to Jerusalem. And then a number of the other disciples are saying, but Jesus, last week you were there and they were trying to kill you. What are you doing? Again, they did not realize that Jesus had a plan. The plan that can only can only be understood if you sit down and read and look at all the information. And the plan was that he wanted to make sure that there was no question about who he was. But also that there was no question that the leaders of the nation, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the aristocracy, those who ran the business of religion in Jerusalem, that they needed to also be convinced that this man had to go. <laughs> he was setting himself up for the sacrifice. So the death of Lazarus brings Jesus to Bethany. And we all know the scene. He goes uh, to the house. Martha hears that Jesus has come, and so she runs to the fields to, to go to the cemetery. And as Jesus walks 
He meets her and then she's crying. This is our nature, isn't it? Our creaturely nature. Jesus, if he were here, I know he would not have died. He would not have died. But then, she's saying something remarkable. She's getting it. She's saying, but Jesus, I know, but even now, you can ask your Father in heaven, he will do whatever you ask. Wow. How many times have you been in that kind of situation? I mean, this is a horrible situation, right? Somebody is, de is dead now, three, four days. He's been buried. Everything has been done. People are coming just to say their respects. Oh, my condolences. I'm sorry that, you know, you're such a good man and all this kind of stuff. And they're talking about it and you are, your heart is broken. He can never come back. Death is such an absolute. Psychologists talk about people that, the fear that we have, the fears, all the fears that we have, they have one source. It's the fear of death. It's the fear of death. All the fears that you and I are concerned about every day, whether your boss likes you, whether you're going to be okay on the job, whether your health is okay, whether the, you know, the new test that you had at the, at the hospital is going to be okay, and it's going to give you a clean bill of health, uh, or, or maybe you're, you have not enough, not enough likes on your, uh, on your iPhone. I mean, all that stuff that we worry about, all of that. When you actually push all that aside and say, okay, why, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I feeling this way? Why is fear dominating my life? It's all about death, that I might die. I get on the freeway, I might die. I can be in my home and somebody might come in and, and kill me. I, I mean, it's all this kind of... Isn't it? Isn't it how we feel all the time? And all this is going to be lost. All the stuff that I cared for, all the people that I love. Jesus wanted to get rid of all that. The most amazing miracle of all by the resurrection of Jesus himself. Why now? Because Jesus was training his disciples. He wanted them to have this eyewitness account in their souls, in their memories, vivid, as vivid as possible. So, of course, we all know he walks up to the tomb, asks the, somebody to open the, the tomb, and Mary, Martha is saying, He stinks. <laughs> Lord, please don't. They open the tomb and Jesus asks Lazarus to come out. Mm -hmm. Lazarus comes out, but he can't walk pretty well because he's all bound up. <laughs> so he asks them to take all the, all the bandages off. That was the, the way they did that those days. And he does, and Lazarus comes back from the dead. And to the surprise and shock of all that were there. And then that starts... The rumor mill. There's now hundreds of people are going. Now Bethany is a walk, a walk distance, you know, very close walk distance from Jerusalem. So they're going back and forth, back and forth, and everybody's going to see it with their own eyes, just to look at Lazarus and say, oh my God, didn't we just bury him the other day? How did he come out? What happened here? 
Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. So now there's two reactions. One, there's fear from the people that are upset with Jesus because he doesn't go by their standards. These are the Pharisees, these are the Sadducees, the people that are in power, the people that are working well with the Romans and don't want any trouble. Those are the people that are doing well. They're not caring about anybody else who's not doing well because they have plenty of money, plenty of position, plenty of privilege, and everything is, life is great. Even though, yeah, we are dominated by the Romans, but hey, if you pay this guy this way, and if you talk to this guy nicely, they'll be good. They'll figure it out. But the rest of the people are in misery. So when Jesus' name comes up again, now they are for sure. They say, you know what? He's got to go. He's got to go. But the people are thrilled. They've never seen anything like this before. They never heard of anything like this before. There were, there were people resurrected in the Old Testament, but nobody did this. This is it was in a lifetime experience. This is what's the expression? This is a what is it called? Uh, not a deal breaker, but this is a changer, game changer okay, this is a game changer okay, and Jesus is trying to teach the disciples that this is what's going on, but in the meantime, all of Jerusalem is going down to Bethany and coming up and this is the day now that Zechariah prophesied on and this is the day when the disciples now are so full of joy they're so pumped up they're so amazed because now they're not, they don't have to worry about the, you know, the aristocracy and the people that are in power trying to criticize Jesus and all this. They don't worry about that because all of, all of Jerusalem is in and out of, of uh, the home of this remarkable Lazarus that came back from the dead four days after he died and buried. With their own eyes they see the miracle. And now they are pumped up. You know, if he can do this, can you imagine what you can do to the legions of Romans? Can you imagine what you can do to your, to your, you know, to your checking account? Can you imagine what you can do? There's no illness that he cannot heal. If you, even if he doesn't get to you, by the time he gets to you, you are in, uh, in the tomb for four days, he will come and take care of it. You don't have to worry about it. Man, this is magic. This is done. And, and they don't realize that Jesus did not come for the wow. He didn't come to sparkle. He didn't come to be this amazing magician that can help you in every kind of way. How do we see Jesus in our lives today? Is he the one that we go to because there's no other way? Is he the one that really we focused on? Is he the one that we take our orders from? Do we follow in his ministry, in his steps? Or are we really looking at him as the magic button? Yeah, he's a game changer, yes, but he's a game changer. Can he change my game? Can he change the, the way my life is going? Can you take care of all the things that I worry about, all the things that I'm suffering under, all the burdens? Can he do that for me? 
That's really what all I care about. Don't ask me to do anything more than that. I just want to take care of myself and my family. Thank you very much. And unfortunately, evangelical Christianity is becoming more and more about what can Jesus do for me. Whereas God wants us to be soaring, to have an impact, to be the light of the world, as Jesus said, to be the salt of the earth, to make the difference that we don't respond to the fear of death the same way the rest of the world responds. But all statistics show that the church is pretty much in the same ballpark as the world. Whether you are a believer of Christ and you do all the right things and you're orthodox in your understanding of who He is and you read the Bible and you do all those things, the reality of the practical aspect of our life doesn't change compared to the rest of the world. The death of Lazarus brought Jesus fame and brought him up to the eyes of those who wanted to get rid of him. And in the midst of all this, as Jesus goes into Jerusalem, people throw their coats on the ground. You know, they find their coal, the fall of a coal. And it was, it was this tradition that the rabbis would say, were saying that it, when the Messiah comes, if he comes in peace, he will be riding a white horse. But if he comes... For judgment, he'll be riding on a coal, on a donkey. I'm not sure how many of the people in the crowd remember that to say, uh oh, something is wrong here. People are excited. They have hope that God has not forgotten them. This Jesus can raise people from the dead who are set for life. Romans, taxes, illnesses, they're all gone. But what does this mean to you and me? I want to read uh, the lyrics of a song that... Uh, Michael Card <laughs> has written, which really captures the whole thing. He captures not just the reality and the parade of what happens, but also the sadness of it. The poem is, uh, and, and the <coughs> lyrics are, of a song are, Right On to Die. Sense the sorrow untold as you look down the road at the clamoring crowd drawing near. Feel the heat of the day as you look down the way. Hear the shouts of Hosanna, the king. O daughter of Zion, your time's drawing near. Don't forsake him. Oh, don't Pass it by. 
as the prophets had said, on the fall of a donkey, passing by you, he rides on to die. Come now, little foal, though you're not very old, come and bear your first burden bravely. Walk so softly upon all the coats and the palms. Bear the one on your back, oh so gently. Midst the shouting so loud and the joy of the crowd, there is one who is riding in silence. For he knows the ones here will be fleeing in fear when their shepherd is taken away. O daughter of Zion, your time is drawing near. Don't forsake him. Oh, don't pass him by. On the fall of a donkey, as the prophet has said, passing by you, as you're riding on to die. Soon the thorn cursed ground will spring forth a crown and this Jesus will seem to be beaten. But he'll conquer alone both the shroud and the stone and the prophecies will be completed. O daughter of Zion, O Agape, Your time's drawing near. Don't forsake him, or don't pass it by on the <coughs> fall of a donkey, as the prophets have said, passing by you, he rides on to die. I want you to take a couple of moments to look at your life with Jesus. Where are you in your journey as a disciple? And make some corrections this morning. Will you do that? As we prepare for Easter, Resurrection Day, and Holy Week.